0: Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Darby Toth, a technical field services representative with Western United
1: Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic field services representative with Western United Dairies. Welcome to week 24, everyone. Welcome to what I
0: think is my smokiest week of the podcast I so know. far, unfortunately.
1: It's been pretty crazy here, Darby. We did get the last couple of days, it's it's cleared out quite a bit. Yesterday was pretty nice. Um, been a little muggy and hot here, which is unusual, but I'm not complaining, I promise. <laughs> I know. I was listening to the news this morning and Hanford
0: has really, really low visibility, I think a mile and a half. And oh, I'm looking wow. up at Merced and somehow Merced has 10 mile visibility. So it's so odd how this is all sitting around and I hope everybody's staying safe and taking appropriate measures if you're down in the smoke to try and stay out of it as much as possible.
1: Yeah, we're definitely thinking of all of our dairy producers and their employees and livestock. And we're going to have a a quick segment later on talking about some safety precautions, but just be careful out there and get those masks. And we do have a resource for N95 masks if anyone is having an issue with that. But certainly um, 2020 just keeps getting more, um, interesting we'll say that's the word we'll use exactly interesting and people keep saying what's next and I keep saying stop asking so (laughs) I don't want to hear that question I know I know I think what's next is a really quiet fall and hopefully a really um excited entry into 2021 we'll keep our fingers crossed
0: I'm optimistic I know there has to be a larger plan so
1: definitely Speaking of a larger plan, we have quite a bit um, packed into this episode. Annie brings us a market update this week. Um, I'm gonna chat with Devin, our board president. He's gonna provide us with a a quick roundup of everything that happened at the board meeting on Thursday. Dr. Mike Payne, as I mentioned, will join us for some animal and employee health information and and protocols and light up the fires and smoke. And then we're gonna have a quick word from Michelle over at Luke. Yeah,
0: I'm pretty excited about this episode. And as we get started, we will jump right in with Annie for a market update.
2: Thanks, Milson and Darby. Um, it wasn't a crazy week, but it was a decent one because all the USDA commodity prices actually went up this week. So that was really nice for a change. Um, you know, cheese uh, barrels in particular took the lead with the, of the gains with an increase of nearly $0.04. Cents. Now, the price is still relatively low, $1.51, um, which is quite a bit below where blocks stand at. They're at $1.82. But the better news um, in all this cheese-related perspective is that CME prices have continued to go up. And we actually reached $2.40 a pound today. And so the Roller coaster that we've been seeing, you know, from $2 to $1 to $3 to 150 now we're back to $240. Uh, clearly, the market is really unsettled, but at least right now it's moving in the right direction, which means USDA prices will also be going up here in the next few weeks. So stay tuned for more good news on the cheese front coming up uh, soon. And if we go to butter, uh, I've been mentioning that it's been really slow, very steady. USDA price $1.49 this week. Um, CME prices went to $1.53, which is, you know, a pretty big change considering it's been really hovering close to $1.50 for a little while now. Uh, but overall, not a lot of movement on butter. If we look outside the United States at the global dairy trade auction, um, the average settled at $1.49. So, really in line with what is going on in the United States. Uh, the USDA is now fed dry milk, was quite the tease this week. Um, it gained 2.7 cents but failed to reach the dollar threshold, um, just really, really close 99 cents, 93 p- per pound. Uh, but still, the increase is welcome after a few weeks of setback. And look on the CME, the price climbed to $1.06. And so we're making some progress there, and even more so outside our borders. At the latest GDT, the skim milk powder price averaged $1.31 per pound. And so for a commodity um, where, you know, the bulk of it goes outside the United States, looking at strong international prices um, is very welcomed. Um, USC released its milk production report this week, and it showed milk production in the United States was up. Um, you know, we've we've had increases uh the last three months but um it was a little bit higher than um than in the past and so overall in the u.s production up 1.8 percent um and we're seeing that in terms of california also which is really surprising this is for um august data and so we've heard a lot of reports with um cows in california you know struggling with the heat um and so the uh, cow number was down from last year but milk per cow was up in August still in uh, the state of California. Um, other top five states were um, pretty tame. I mean, Wisconsin was down 0.3%. Um, Idaho was an exception, was up 3.4%. And Texas, Texas. Um, you know, not that surprising they they were up seven point one percent. They've been uh, growing really rapidly in the last few years, and so kind of in line with what we have been seeing so this concludes the market update for this week and before I pass it back to uh Darby and Melissa, I would like to point out uh, we've been doing regular zoom calls for um membership you want to log in, they're on Thursdays at 11 a.m. on the first, second, and fourth Thursdays of the month. Um, Next week will be an exception. And so instead of being on September 24th, it will be on 23rd because um, Paul Souza will be given the the brief update and he's unavailable on the 24th. So stay tuned for an update from Paul on September 23rd. So this was it for the market update this week. Thanks for listening and talk next week. (music)
1: Okay, listeners, I am back here, surprise, with Annie. Um, Annie, thanks for that market update. Um, We're back with you in kind of an impromptu little chat. Um, Something really exciting happened this morning, which is Friday, and um, just a little behind-the-curtain peek for our listeners. We record the podcast throughout the week, and we release it on Saturday morning for you guys, but when kind of interesting or important information comes up, we sometimes will jump on Friday afternoon and record, and this afternoon is no exception. Annie, I'll let you, uh, I'll do a little drum roll and let you unveil the good news if you'd like.
3: (laughs) Well, that's great. Uh, Yes, we're always happy to share some good news. Uh, We got some good news out of uh, Washington, D.C. this morning here where they decided to make it rain again. Um, There's (laughs) dollars coming for dairy producers on the CFAP Uh, 2.0 so uh, hopefully a lot of of our members already got their payment for the first round uh, which was you know a a better amount than we expected and there was rumors that there might be a second round and it just got announced um, that there will be so this one will cover the milk production from April 1 to August 31 so your actual milk production for that period will be covered at $1.20 per hundredweight well another uh, significant shot here um, and also, the producers' estimated milk production from September 1 to December 31, 2020. Um, so, it's going to be based on the daily average production from that uh, April to August period, um, and also paid at a rate of $1.20 per 100 weight. And so, this is, um, you know, um, a good period that yeah, is covered by
1: um, that amount. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I don't think any of us were really expecting this announcement to come out uh, this week, Annie. So this is really good news for our producers. Just another um, little chunk of change that they can put towards all the crazy bills that have been probably piling up um, when milk prices sunk really low this spring. So good news for dairy producers. Yeah. And interesting. Yeah. And it was, you know,
3: USDA calculated the the payments the first time and they did it again this time. And they, they look at a period from January 13 to 17 to July 27 to 31 and they found there was a, a price loss there and so uh, that's why it triggered a payment on um, on dairy and so this is uh, definitely good news um, to have for uh, dairy producers you know like a nine month period covered so overall the whole year will be covered um, through you know one of those uh, two rounds and so hopefully um, producers can go um, you know the um, uh, operations that um, went out of business. Actually, there's even going to be a way to get it uh, prorated uh, for Congrats. those who, you know, yeah, that have been planning on selling uh, this month or next, but hopefully that's not the case, but um, applications will be accept- accepted from Sep- September 21. I'm too excited. I'm stepping over my <laughs> words from seven, <laughs> September 21 through December 11. So the deadline um, will be December 11 for um you know people to put the application in for this um this program and so again like the like last time uh there's information uh, informations on farmers.gov um with uh slash cfap so c-f-a-p slash dairy uh for more details and um hopefully you know members can take advantage
1: of this absolutely well that's again september 21st that's this monday you can start applying so we're going to get some info out to our producers via email text today um and then if you have any questions or need help with application don't hesitate to reach out to your field reps and annie we may throw a couple guys over to you but um that's a really great news for producers and uh, again follow up with questions and we'll keep you in the loop if we hear any more news thanks annie sounds great we like these yeah. uh, little <laughs> drop-ins <laughs> we'll invite them anytime <laughs> thanks annie have a good weekend <laughs> you too
3: Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety.
0: Well, thanks so much, Annie, for that update. And now we're going to listen to a conversation with our board president, Devin Gioletti and Melissa Lima.
1: Hey, thanks, Derby, And welcome, Devin Gioletti, our Western United Dairies Board President, back to the show. Thanks for being here, Devin.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Um, so just for our listeners, um, as a reminder, we have our Western United Dairies Board Meeting every other month on Thursdays, on the third Thursday. And this week was WED Board Week. And we thought it would be a great way to have Devin back on the show just to give us a quick roundup of what happened at the board meeting. So thanks for agreeing to that, Devin.
4: Yeah, no problem. It's, it's very important that the members know what's going on in our, in our board meetings. And as a reminder, our board meetings are open to all our members. Um, right now we're doing them on Zoom. So maybe a field rep can send out a Zoom link if they'd like to sit in and, and see what happens.
1: Absolutely. Um, so, Devin, we'll just jump right in and we'll start off with kind of the administrative end of things at Western United. Do you want to, anything you want to share with us about what's just going on at the company these days?
4: Yeah, we always start off our meetings with uh, financial reports. And um, as you know, our dues are based upon the milk price. So milk price goes up, Western does good. When milk prices go down, uh, we struggle just like, just like our members do on their dairies. So during the COVID uh, crisis, uh, we saw our dues drop off sharply, and um, we uh, had some uh, executive meetings, and we made some serious budget cuts to help carry us through. Well, I'm glad to report that. We have, we have done very well as we've gone through this pandemic. Um, now we're sitting in a very good financial position. We're uh, making contributions back to our savings account. We're putting money back into our pack, and we're starting to operate back, uh, back in the position that we were before COVID. So <clears throat> I would like to thank Anya and our past presidents, Frank Mendonza and Lucas Denise, for all the good work they've done to help create a very lean and nimble uh, company. And um, I'm, I'm very excited about our future. We've, we've done very well through this and we can get back to doing what we were doing before. So uh, it's really good news. And I want our members to know that.
1: Yeah, definitely good news. And also a testament to your leadership, Devin, for seeing us through You're always positive and keeping us on the right track. So thanks for stepping up during this crazy year and, and <laughs> working so hard to keep us going.
4: Yeah, it's been a roller coaster for sure.
1: Well, now that we covered financials, maybe we'll we'll jump into the next topic, which is um, Annie always brings us an economic report, uh, market update at our meetings. We're going to have that at the beginning of the show this week, just like we always do. But um, we have a couple other things that kind of fall under the economics umbrella and and the top of that list is quota. So do you want to give us a quick update on what's happening with quota and Western's role in that?
4: Yeah, it, uh, Annie gave us a, uh, you know, a quick update on on quota but uh, so stop quip has filed another lawsuit with CDFA um, Under the th- uh, chapter 3.5. So uh, this time they're finding another way to sue about the decision that didn't go in their favor last time. So. We just got word that CDFA is going to defend their decision. So um, we have that. And then the United Dairy Families, um, the hearing on their petition uh, is going to be held at the end of the month. That is the petition to sunset quota over five years. And then uh, redo the RQAs to, uh, I think, $1.40. So, yeah, everything's moving along on the quota front. It's never, uh, never a dull moment there.
1: Definitely not. And that hearing is going to be similar to what we saw earlier this summer with the hearing, which will be in front of an administrative law judge, correct?
4: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I believe that uh, the Secretary of uh, Agriculture, Karen Ross, uh, chose a different path instead of just having the producer review board just uh, vote up or down. uh, She wanted to put all this in front of a uh, administrative law judge first. So definitely a, a not a normal situation but um that's that's what's happening this time
1: okay great thanks evan and moving on to legislation a couple of things um the legislative session just wrapped up but a couple things kind of still on the burner for us at this point in time heading into the election
4: yeah jason gave us an update on on uh, prop 15. um prop 15 is a uh, property tax increase uh, ballot measure that's going to be on the ballot in november Thirteen billion dollars in new property taxes we're we're looking at, and um, even though the you might hear in the news that it doesn't affect agriculture, well, it does. Dairies, almond uh, pollers, any any infrastructure built on ag land is going to be taxed at new new higher uh, property tax rates. Not not good, obviously. So we're we're fighting. We're we joined a lot of uh, we joined a coalition of other businesses that are fighting this. And uh, Jason came out with some, uh, sh- told us about some new polling that had just come out. Um, right now, it looks like Proposition 15 has about 50% support in the state with 41% disapproval. Now that might sound bad, but Jason uh, basically told us that a proposition of this of this uh, size would basically need closer to 65% support, support uh, being 45 days out from the election. Uh, to basically get approval. So he was pretty optimistic that Prop 15 will get defeated. Um, Not saying that we don't have our work cut out for us and uh, we obviously can't uh, slack off. So, uh, but yeah, Jason was pretty optimistic that this thing could get killed.
1: Great news. And speaking of getting killed or at least put on the back (laughs) burner, we did um, work with a coalition of other groups this year to defeat or at least shelve some really... um, troublesome legislation that came up. Do you want to start off just giving us a quick update? We've all heard about AB 2959. That's the um, legislation that would require contracts with municipalities to get food waste to farms and ranches. So bakery goods, brewer's waste, things like that. So you want to give us a little roundup about that and then head into a couple of other topics?
4: Yeah, we worked really hard on uh, the defeat AB twenty nine fifty nine. Basically, this bill would just complicate and increase costs to dairies that are getting food byproducts and keeping them out of landfills. Um, you know, the mus- municipalities wanted to kind of get in there and get some of that credit for uh, for recycling that things that are already being done by by the dairy farmers. Um, you know, dairy cows are great consumers of byproducts. Without without animal agriculture and and dairies. Tons and tons of food waste would be going to landfills, almond holes, uh, cotton seeds, all kinds of things that uh, don't have a lot of other nutritional value, but you put them into a dairy cow and they can produce some great, great food with it. So yeah, um, please report AB 2959 is shelved this year. And um, most likely it's going to come back next year though. Uh, Another one, AB 2566, animal products for human consumption uh, basically would have to be uh, measured on their greenhouse gas production so we obviously feel that this unfairly targets uh, animal agriculture because uh, obviously other other food product products wouldn't get uh, wouldn't have to file out this this reporting so that's been shelved for this year AB 2645 this is a gem that only could mm-hmm. come from California yeah so basically AB 2645 would give uh, is named uh, Ad- advocates for animals and would give animals legal representation if uh, if a uh, uh, animal abuse complaint was filed. So imagine somebody driving by files an animal abuse complaint on one of your cows. That cow can know, now go get a get a lawyer and sue you. So um, <laughs> obviously this is a disaster of a bill and something that we can't stand for. Um, you talk about getting sued, you know, already on. With, with employee issues and all the other issues that we have. Now imagine there's tons of frivolous lawsuits getting filed and you'd have to settle them because you can't afford to defend yourself in court. A lot of these things are like, I was thinking about how to describe and a lot of these bills are like wildfires, you know. Uh, you have to stomp these things out in committee. You gotta stomp them out early before they get big and out of control. Yeah. Um, so that's why it's important that, that, you know, Western United's up there every single day watching this stuff because it, it's it's easy to kill these things when they're new and uh before they just spin out of control
1: definitely and it seems like just when we think california can't get any crazier on some of these th- legislative pieces they sacramento turns around and proves us wrong so jason's a really great asset for us and just the work that he does in a in a team fashion with our administration with anya with the, the board and the executive team is really helpful getting some of these things it, it it seems crazy, but just keep the punches, just keep coming. So uh,
4: it's, it's never ending. It's, it's probably between that and the environmental stuff. It's, it's some of the most important stuff that we do. Um, this is never going to stop. There's, and a lot of these bills are just going to keep coming back and, you know, not saying that we can't, you know, we're, we're always going to fight and prevail. Um, but we have to be there educating our, our lawmakers that this stuff is just lunacy and, um, it's just gonna kind of just if you want your food produced here in California, we can't have this stuff going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great points. Well, you mentioned environmental issues. Uh Paul Mr. Sunshine had a quite <laughs> a lengthy report yesterday, as usual. Um just to hit a couple of highlights. I, I want to first start out with an issue that's really important to all of us at Western because its ability to be super precedent setting, and that's the lawsuit filed against the Kirty Cur- mm-hmm. May Dairy in Corcoran by the city of Corcoran. So just a quick update on that, Devin, the board made some good decisions yesterday, I think, regarding this issue.
4: Yeah, we've been we've been following this issue for, I don't know, has it been five, six years now? Yeah. Um, basically, the Curti-Made families being, being threatened with litigation, or they being sued by the city of Corcoran over some uh, contaminated uh, wells that a uh, city of Corcoran has and that are nearby the Curdy made Dairy. And what's frustrating about this is the Curdy made Dairy has followed all of the rules that we need to follow, all their water board rules. There's no violations on this dairy, yet the city of Corcoran, we believe, is just trying to pass the bill on to a to a neighboring dairy to help get them to to clean up their wells. So they've been carrying this battle, this legal battle, all by themselves for for several years now, and the legal costs are just spiraling out of control so last board meeting and this board meeting i'm pleased to report that the board has said enough's enough we're going to defend this family this members of ours and we are going to we donated to their defense so um if the curtis lose this battle or have to settle it's going to set a legal precedent to all the other dairies that are nearby cities Um, these cities all have budget problems they all have financial problems. A lot of it has to do with our pension obligations. Mm -hmm. And we can't just sit there and let them, you know, say, Hey, there's a dairy across the street. Let's sue them, get them to settle and help, help finance our, you know, our, our budget problems. Uh, A stand has to be made and we need to draw a line in the sand. I I really challenge all the dairymen out there, all the co-ops and all the other dairy organizations to step up and help the curdy made dairy. Um, This, they they cannot fail on this.
1: Absolutely. And, and, they're, like you said, they're totally in compliance with waterboard regulations. And in fact, monitoring rails have shown that there's not an issue from the Curdy May Dairy that's created issues in those wells for the city. So it's definitely a money grab opportunity. It's super unfortunate and such an ag um, community to see that happening. But I think we all need to step up and do what we can to help them. Not only are the curties exemplary dairymen, they're awesome people and we're, we're really happy to help them out.
4: I, I know it's easy to to say that, you know, it's, it's not my problem, it's it's somebody else's, but this yeah. will be your problem in the future if, if they uh, if they lose this. So Definitely. It's, we all need to stick together here.
1: Absolutely, great point. And, and kind of to play off of that, something that is turning into a problem for a lot of dairy producers is, is this issue of groundwater intersecting lagoons. It's really a big deal in Merced County right now. Uh, letters have gone out and Paul gave us a quick update on what's happening with that issue.
4: Yeah, so from, I'm sure most of you know, but um, basically 70 dairies in Merced County got letters from the water board. Um, These areas, uh, basically these dairies are in areas of high groundwater table. So a lot of these areas are basically over uh, or higher than 10 feet uh, groundwater. So the water board has required these 70 dairies to provide uh, proof that their lagoons aren't intersecting groundwater. So they've had to hire engineers to come out and do a study and to prove that their lagoons basically don't intersect groundwater. Um, Some of these dairies that are closer actually now have to drill monitoring wells because uh, the water board won't take their word for it. And basically now they have to incur more expense, drill some monitoring wells to prove that their lagoons don't accept groundwater, uh, intersect groundwater. And we're pleased to report, I say that sarcastically, Mm -hmm. but probably another 70 dairies uh, in the Santa Slaus and Hillmar, uh, Turlock and Hillmar area are gonna get letters here in the next few months. So this is a big issue and we're working with those dairies to help them through it. But um, yeah, it's not good news. Um, The water board has targeted lagoons, even though we've, the CBD RMP has shown really good data to show that lagoons don't impact groundwater nearly as much as as, uh, the field and farm runoff, so. Yeah, it's, uh, we're helping these dairies get through it.
1: Definitely. And um, it is it is a big issue, as Paul has mentioned several times, including on the podcast. Um, not something we can just wave a magic wand over. So if you get one of those letters, please contact us. And um, there's some steps we can take. It's, it's a process. You have to move through it. There's no quick fix for it. But um, you don't have to do it alone. That's the good news.
4: No, uh, we're here to help for sure.
1: Okay, Devin, now one of the worst topics to ever have (laughs) to talk about in the industry, mortality management. That's been a huge button issue for the last several summers, but this year it kind of came to a head um, with some issues in the Central Valley during these last couple of heat waves. So can we talk a little bit about um, how we're moving forward on hopefully easing that situation?
4: Yeah, we all know in our dairies that our rendering costs have gone up substantially. Our... uh, service has gone down substantially. Uh, it's hard to get trucks in here uh, every day like they want. It's sometimes you don't even see a truck for a week and during the summer, that's not not acceptable. So we basically don't have enough rendering capacity in this state. So one little hiccup in the system, uh, we end up with, with mortality issues. So we all know that this summer, uh, we had um, uh, emergency heat declarations where we basically have to do something different with our animals. So some of them went to landfills. Some of them are being composted on the farm. Um, we need to do something to, to, to fix this situation. I was going to use the word render, but I thought that's probably not the right word. We need to render this situation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we, what we would like to do is figure out a way where we can compost our animals on top of cement during these, uh, emergency, uh, situations. And, um, and compost those animals on the farm, and uh, at least give us some leeway uh, during these high uh, heat incidences. There Definitely. has to be something done because uh, the cost keeps going up, and there's no new renderers getting built in the state. So um, we're we're working on coming up with some sort of issue, and and about the easiest thing we can we can see is on farm composting. If it's done right, it's it's economic, it's environmentally sound, and it's economical for the farmers. So
1: yeah, um, I don't see
4: why this can't be a common sense way of of helping this issue.
1: Definitely providing some climate benefits while disposing of those uh, mortalities. Well, good deal. Thanks so much, Devin, for being here today. Uh, I know you, you guys are always super busy and being board president for Western United Dairies has a lot of extra responsibilities. So thanks for taking the time out and <laughs> any parting words for our members or anything you'd like to let any, any of our listeners know before we let you go?
4: Yeah, I mean, I always like to end these things on just reminding our members that um, uh, we're all stronger together. We all need to be unified as an industry. Um, it's It doesn't matter if you're a small dairy up in Humboldt or a big dairy in Bakersfield. Uh, we're all stronger when we're together. Um, there's a lot, I know there's a lot of issues that divide us. There's the quota issue, there's regional issues, there's size issues, but trust me, when we're all together, if we can all speak with one voice, Uh, the industry's stronger and each farm is stronger uh, themselves so um, get involved stay involved just like with these all these nonsense bills that keep popping up this battle is never going to end and we can it's just a lot better for us to be together so stay unified my friends
1: (laughs) awesome well thanks Devin we hope you have a great weekend and we'll we'll hopefully hear from you soon
4: you too thank you take care
0: Thanks again so much for that update, Devin. We're always happy to have you on. And now another conversation that I'm personally very interested in, as we talked about before, kind of sitting in the smoke, we are going to talk with Dr. Payne, and he is going to give us an update on animal employee health information in light of the fire and smoke situation that's happening across the state.
1: Thanks, Darby. As Darby mentioned, I'm here with Dr. Michael Payne from UC Davis and the California Dairy Quality Assurance Program. So welcome, Dr. Payne. I'm just hoping you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your positions at at UC Davis and CDQAP, and a little bit uh, about your experience as a landowner, veterinarian, and volunteer firefighter.
5: Well, well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, Yes, I am a veterinarian with the UCD School of Veterinary Medicine. I'm also director of the California Dairy Quality Assurance Program, which brings together the university and the industry and regulators together for the common bit. Uh, CQAP is a portfolio program, I should mention, uh, under both the California Milk Advisory Board and the California Dairy Research Foundation that's been that way for more than 20 years. I am also a volunteer firefighter in a very remote, very rural part of Solano County.
1: Well, great. Your experiences definitely lend a lot to our subject matter today. So we're so glad to have you. Um, just to, real quickly, we'll kind of go over what we're going to hit on. Um, as our listeners know, we spoke with John Booker, one of our dairy producers up in Healdsburg a couple of weeks ago who had just a really harrowing experience with the Wallbridge fire. Since that time, the fire season in California has not slowed down. In fact, quite the opposite It has probably um, to this date been and will be one of the worst fire seasons in memory. Um, So we're going to address issues related to that, Um, smoke and how that affects livestock and employees. We've all been subject to these smoky, poor air quality the last few weeks. Um, We'll talk a little bit about preparedness for dairies that may be in the wildland interface or subject to wildfires reaching their property, which it seems uh, for most of our dairies to in the past have been kind of a a non-starter, but now is a very real thing that they may be dealing with. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about preparation and how that may help in the instance of not only a wildfire but an instance of a, a fire on the property say in the hay barn and um, in light of fire season we're going to talk about our very favorite subject emergency power losses those PSPS um, events that we will uh, that we have and we'll definitely probably be subject to more of and just discuss a little bit of a plan and some resources to help producers on the issues so We'll jump right in. Um, starting off with the topic we've been getting a lot of questions about here at Western, um, and that is the exposure of wildfire smoke. And so that applies to both our employees and our animals. So what can you tell us, Dr.
5: Mike? Well, it, it's a good subject to start off with because um, even though it's, it's pretty rare that dairy is actually fire, uh, threatened by wildland fires, or for that matter, barn fires or hay fires, Right now, about two and a half million acres of the state is burning, and, and that's a lot of agricultural op- operations that are affected by smoke. So right now, um, much of this, most of the Central Valley remains under an air quality alert of some sort or another. And as the wildfire smoke increases, so does the most dangerous component it, it, it has, which is the particulate matter 2.5, we just call uh, PM 2.5. Now, these particles are really small. They're, they're only about 1 the size of the, of the diameter of a human hair, and they, that makes them small enough to reach down into the very deepest portions of our lungs, and they can even cross over into the bloodstream. And I, I have some personal experience with this. When I was deployed to the campfire in uh, 2018 in Paradise, California, um, they had air quality index readings, AQI readings of up around 700. And, I, and I'm, I'm embarrassed uh, to admit that if I didn't wear my N95 mask nearly as often as I should have. And, and when I, by the time I got home, I had a cough and a sinusitis and a sore throat. that Well, it lasted for weeks. Um, that's, that's one of the reasons that OSHA actually requires employers to monitor the local air quality index and then provide N95 quality masks to their outdoor employees for voluntary use, when the AQI exceeds 150, now employers are required to uh, uh, employers are required to make sure that their employees are using the masks when the smoke uh, when the smoke and the air quality it's really really bad with an AQI of, of up above 500, and it, that's not really such a terrible rule of uh, 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 voluntary use between 150 and 500, and then mandatory use above 500 because above 500 that is really, really dangerous air quality. And it's, uh, in fact, a a single day spent breathing air in at, uh, with an AQI of 500 is roughly about the same, uh, is roughly equivalent to smoking about 25 cigarettes.
1: Okay, so I have seen a lot of people around lately that are wearing the masks that are required for COVID, the cloth face coverings or the neck gaiters. So do those count as protection for this bad air quality generated by the
5: smoke? Boy, we we wish it did because we have to wear those the universally detested masks anyway for the COVID thing. But the fact is, it's a great question. Uh, those simple masks that are required by CalOSHA for a different reason for indoor employees that are working closer than six feet uh, apart uh, those those masks won't block out the most dangerous two point five particle uh, two point five uh, PM two point five particles. In fact, you know you could fit nearly 100 uh, PM2.5 particles across the holes that are made up by the thread weave in a brand new bandana mask, which means that it's pretty porous to particles that are that small. So CDQAP produced an emergency wildfire advisory that details smoke education resources for employers uh, that, that's available for their employees uh, in both English and Spanish.
1: Yeah, and we'll link to that in our show notes and also we've provided to our members. So it's a really great resource. Thanks to CDQAP for being on top of that. Um, so the effects of wildfire smoke on employees are, are really tangible. We can you know, see that, we can talk to each other and know that our eyes are itchy or our throats are sore. I am concerned about livestock. I live at the end of a dairy out here and I just noticed the cows looked a little less than happy the last few days. <laughs>
5: So, yeah, the, the question of, of what what effect wildfire smoke can have on livestock is a lot trickier. That's, um, there's, there's As you might imagine, there's a robust body of literature out there on, on smoke in humans, and we know what levels are dangerous to susceptible people and to children, and how much lifetime exposure will end up and how many early mortalities. We know a, a bunch of stuff about that, but we don't know nearly as, as much about the effects of uh, wildfire smoke on animals.
1: So Dr. Mike, what do we know about the effect on cattle and other livestock of wildfire smoke?
5: Well, based on some limited study in horses and sheep and goats, uh, we know that wildfire smoke affects livestock in a very similar way to the way it does in humans. We know that animals with prolonged exposure to high concentrations of smoke can develop similar problems. They can develop a cough, decreased lung capacity, and decreased immune response. What we don't know, and for resting cattle, meaning dairy cattle that are being exercised, is how high or how prolonged the exposure needs to be to be significant.
1: So given our limited knowledge, um, what recommendations would you give to producers in California now or in the future when working with our livestock in these conditions?
5: Well, the American Veterinary Medical Association makes some pretty good general recommendations, but the thing is that most California dairies are already doing that. And that includes feeding a moist ration, feeding, uh, free, making sure that free white choice water is available, uh, protecting the cattle against heat stress uh, as much as possible because heat stress can cause deep breathing as well. Um, if cattle, if cattle have prolonged exposure to significant smoke, say for more than several days above an AQI of 200 to 400, if it's possible producers might wanna consider minimizing or postponing activities that cause deep breathing inside their livestock, particularly particularly their young stock. This could include in their young stock, such activities as sorting and transporting, vaccinating and dehorning. Obviously, however, it, that's a judgment call because it's gonna to need to be based on how bad the air quality is and how stressful that anticipated activity is actually gonna be.
1: Okay, and well, aside from the smoke, some facilities, um have actually been threatened. We've, I have a, quite a few up here in the North Coast that have been threatened by wildfire. And as a rural firefighter, um, we're gonna kind of switch gears and hopefully you can give us some recommendations for those facilities.
5: Well, I'm really glad that you mentioned John Brooker's uh, recent podcast on Western. Um, John is, is like the poster boy for emergency planning. His, his family's multi-generational farm has been threatened on several occasions and that's allowed him to go ahead and, and hone his responses. Uh, the, most, the most recent time is his farm was threatened was just in this most recent LNU complex fire. Uh, John's podcast uh, for me is actually worth listening to for any foothill or coastal dairy producer that might actually be threatened. When you talk to John, he can tell you about setting up the hose lines and sprinklers that are working off of a gravity feed in case the power goes out, um, cutting a fire break around his, uh, around his facility with a bulldozer. But most importantly, he developed a staged evacuation plan that started with his elderly mother and then, um, then with the families of his employees. And then lastly, how they would go ahead and shelter in place with the livestock in, in the safest part of, the, of his facility. We at the vet school developed a video that addresses a lot of these sort of issues, but it's, it's, and admittedly, the, the, issue, the video is targeting mostly ranchers but it still contains a lot of information about fire engine capacity and capability, uh, fire engine access, emergency water supplies and animal evacuation.
1: Yeah, that's a great video. I watched it, I've sent it to just about everyone I know and I'll um, also be linking that in the show notes for the podcast as well, but it's just such great information. Um, So talking to John Booker, it was very clear that evacuation wasn't an option for him, but what about producers that do need to consider evacuation?
5: Yeah, um, certainly, dairy evacuation has been used effectively for some things like flooding. Um, and in fact, I think Western United was was, instrument, was, uh, was importantly involved to, to help coordinate an evacuation of a 600 cow dairy central, in the Central Valley back in 1997. The problem is, if we use that example, is that it took three days to relocate just about 600 animals. So if you want to talk about moving, say, 1,500 animals in just about three hours, it just isn't realistic. So if you have a foothill or coastal dairy that really does have the potential by being overrun by a flame front, then it's important to develop a a shelter-in-place plan, much like what Mr. Booker did so effectively.
1: Yeah, John did a great job with that. So Unfortunately, and, and part of John's planning was that wildfire isn't the only type of fire that can affect dairies. Um, so hay fires and barn fires, which were what prompted the bookers to have such a well-developed plan, can also occur on dairies. So let's talk a little bit about that, if we could.
5: Well, that raises a really good point. For most California dairies, the biggest fire danger is actually going to be haystack fires. Last year in Chino, a hay fire burned for days, and in fact it generated its own local air quality warning. And then last September, um, 1,100 tons of hay burned, uh, and that flame then spread to farm equipment and eventually to a tractor trailer, and that cost half a million dollars worth of losses.
1: So can anything be done to minimize those losses, Dr. Mike?
5: Actually, there's quite a bit. Um, the, uh, there's a lot that can be done, but the easiest and most effective, the shortest distance between two points involves a really close communication with either your baling team or your contract baler. So if if you know in advance that hay has been put up just a little bit too wet, you can make arrangements to to do any one of a number of things. You can, you can let that hay sit in the field for, uh, or by the roadside by the field for just a few more days, uh, you can use it immediate. You can feed it immediately. Uh, when you bring it into the dairy, if you know that it was put up a little bit wet, you can go ahead and relocate. You can locate it in, in a safer part of the dairy. Where if it does through spontaneous combustion actually uh, catch fire, it won't endanger number one either other haystacks or equipment or other structures. So um, this was a big enough deal last year that so CDQAP actually developed a, an entire web page on preventing to and responding to hay fires, along with a short newsletter article that covers the highlights.
1: Yeah, and we'll additionally link those on the show notes. And the more we talk about this, the more I think we'll probably just develop a section on our website to have a link to all of these resources as well because they're so great. Um, Dr. Mike, what other dangers might producers face during wildfire season that we should consider making a plan
5: for? Now, um, as you know, we're just get, getting into the beginning of the worst part of the wildfire season. And that's when the, the, the fall transitional winds really start blowing over an already tinder dry state. So large wildfires like the ones that we're experiencing through the state right now certainly have the potential to cause um, electric utility loss. But it doesn't, you don't have to have a fire to have electric utility loss. You've already mentioned the PSPSs. Mm-hmm. Um, just the high winds alone can cause utilities to implement these public safety power shutoffs. And in fact, the most extensive PSPSs in the state's history occurred just last year. Now, I already know that virtually every dairy, every dairy that I know um, already has a, an emergency power generator for its parlor. But if these PSPSs are, are becoming more of the norm, then it may be prudent for producers to um, check in on the maintenance of that generator, and especially whether or not they have enough fuel, which might actually be difficult to access during a wind event when there are trees down, power lines are down, uh, or, or um, um, uh, diesel stations don't don't actually have power. So. Um, the other thing that producers might want to examine is whether or not they're going to need additional generating capacity for non-parlor machinery, like feed mixing and irrigation. If it turns out that the PSPS or, or power loss because of a fire is going to be a prolonged event. and, and For instance, uh, during um, last year's PSPS in Northern California, you know, our ranch was out of power for five days. CDQAP, again, um, this was a big enough issue last year that we produced a webpage and as well as a highlights article that uh, was uh, devoted just to emergency power generation and walks the producer through that process and also what the, the least the least cost options are.
1: Great. Well, as mentioned, we'll be posting all of these links in the show notes and on our website. and And thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Mike. We don't want to take too much more of your time, but we just really wanted to thank you for always being such a great partner with Western United Dairies, and unfortunately we're all becoming a little bit of an expert on these issues, but we really appreciate your time because you seem to be the expert on this particular issue.
5: Well, I, I as a firefighter and as a vet, I really appreciate your interest, and, and you know, it's it's you know, it's always a pleasure for me to work with Western because you we have to remember you guys were one of the very first organizations that signed into our partnership nearly 20 years ago. You guys have been an awesome partner uh for our for our partnership and i'm, I'm always i always look forward to working with you
1: well the feelings certainly mutual and we hope you'll come back anytime you have anything for us We're we'll, we're happy to have you all on those podcasts thank you so much
5: you have a safe and restful weekend
6: you too Dr. Mike. hello dairy members of western united dairies my name is rochelle and i help out with the Lecheros Unidos de california program Every time that you need an employee of any type, you know, we know and I know how hard it is nowadays to hire someone with the experience needed for the actual job because you know there are activists going to door and door and we have to watch out for them. We actually interview the candidates by doing a phone call interview and ask them some questions like, are you currently working? What are your experience in the dairy industry? or do you have any past reference, and more. That's the only way you will find out if they are potential candidates for your dairy. I know that Dairy Members uses a lot of tools on how to hire employees, but if you need help on posting a job offer or to make an announcement, feel free to call the office number at 209-527-6453, or you can email me at rashell at com for your employer questionnaire. Thank you and have a nice day.
4: Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you.
1: Well, that was certainly a great episode. Before we wrap today, Darby, um, I'm not gonna get into specifics, but we had a pretty, um, I would say kind of scary situation with some animal activists doing a couple of different things throughout California this week. It's very clear that these guys are not taking time off for COVID or the wildfires. And we just wanna come to our members with a couple of just general reminders about your facilities and their security, um, just for peace of mind.
0: Yeah, so first of all, I think Melissa and I were having a conversation earlier today. And the number one thing that I'd like to add is that you should trust your gut I think this is great advice, but there are also some really helpful tips that you can implement on a daily basis. So first, make sure your biosecurity signs and no trespassing information is up to date. Make sure that signs have correct contact information for check in, establish check in procedures for visitors at your farm and ensure all employees and family members know the steps to follow if a visitor shows up and escort those visitors at all times.
1: Yeah, and just generally maintain basic security. If you have gates that you can shut, those are always good. Um, Make sure that any outbuildings or offices are locked, um, all your cabinets and everything have proper security. Um, We talked to Sheriff Warnke way back in one of our very first episodes, having good lighting on the farm, especially in the farmyard is essential. So having good lighting for safety for your employees, but also for safety concerning uh, possible intruders. I would really say um, to dairies today, my number one tip would be consider adding cameras. It's a bit of an investment, but it's one that is really worth it down the road if something were to happen. And especially to sensitive areas, um, the farm gate area, the opening to your dairy and, and any areas where small animals like calves or hospital pens are, that would be really good places to consider adding cameras. And then again, just ensure that restricted areas are closed off and that farm gates and those areas have proper no trespassing signage. And we have the California legal signage that you can add to your dairy. So if you need that, let us know.
0: Yes, and if activists do arrive and try to gain access to your farm, do not engage with them except to ask them to leave. Always do your best to remain calm and collected take photos of them and their vehicles and never feel afraid to call your local law enforcement. And I'd like to add that if you need the contact information for your local law enforcement to have at hand, please
1: reach out to either Melissa or I. Absolutely, and thoroughly screening all job applicants is very, very important. Um, Verifying past employment with references, um, conducting background checks if possible, and confirming that possible employees are not a known activist. Um, You can contact WUD and we will hook you up with the Animal Ag Alliance for more information. It's just to make sure that these people are in fact being employed on your dairy because they want a job working with animals and not something a little less honest. Um, I would also add trying to hire employees from a known source. A lot of times we have current employees with family members that may be interested in a job or, you know, just trusting the source that you're hiring your employee from is really important.
0: Yeah, and you can educate your employees about the risks of activists, what to look out for, and make sure this is an ongoing conversation. Develop a crisis and communication plan for your dairy that addresses these issues.
1: Yes, lots of things going on. Um, we know sometimes it gets a little heavy, but, but just really focusing in on, you know, taking precautions ahead of time so down the road you're prepared should something happen, which we, re- we really hope it won't. So a huge shout out to Annie, Dr. Payne, Devin, Gioletti, and Rochelle for making this week's episode possible. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you'd like
0: information on sponsoring the podcast, please reach out to our office at info, I-N-F-O, at wudaries.com or our office number is 209-527-6453. And remember to reach out to Melissa or I with questions, comments, and content requests at wud.pod at gmail.com. That's wud.pod at gmail.com. And my email is darby,
1: D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. And I'm M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. And we'd love it if you could rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Thanks, everyone.
0: While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors.
1: Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at i n f o at w u That's info at w u d a i r i e s dot